Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to Money Beat, friends. I am Paul Vigna. I am Stephen Grosser. And it is, can you believe Stephen Grosser is already bank earnings season? It seems like we just finished the first one. It's so or the exciting. First quarter one. It's like getting Christmas four times a year. Yeah, it really is. I enjoy it. Getting up at, what, 5 a.m. to get in here at 6.15 to start the live blog. To start the live blog. Uh, and to help us talk about it today, we have two of our crack Wall Street Journal reporters, two of the best, Telus Demos and Liz Hoffman. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So tell us, you cover some of the biggest banks, and those are the ones that kick off Friday. What can we expect? So we have a trifecta of the big banks. We've got uh, J.P. Morgan, we've got Wells Fargo, and we've got Citigroup, plus a little PNC uh, thrown in there on Friday. Uh, those are the banks, you know, uh, Wells and JPM obviously are, are, you know, very heavily sort of uh, levered to the retail customer. And so we'll get a read on what's going on with, with retail banking. And that the view on that will be what impact is short-term rates going up having on that business. And what, what seems to be the case and what I think people will continue to see is that banks are just not really feeling a lot of pressure to raise interest rates that they're giving out to depositors, which means that they're essentially making more money on the money that they lend out. So we're going to continue to see some gains there. But the question for those two banks will also be, do we continue to see like a really dramatic slowing in corporate loan growth? Uh, and so that's what has been – that was one of the surprises of the first quarter was seeing how little banks' loans were growing. People had expected more. They were expecting kind of a Trump bump in – business confidence and that people would be making right, big new right. investment decisions. They just weren't. Uh, and the things that they were counting on about Trump, infrastructure spending, tax cuts, regulatory reform, I mean, those things, obviously, well, we know there's a lot of other things going on. Is... None of them have happened yet. Right. So so the the both, you know, so, so no one's doing it in anticipation of those things happening because there's no runway and no one's doing it because there just isn't a reason to. So th- those will be the two. Uh, kind of reads we get there. Citigroup is a little more heavily leveraged toward the trading side. So Citi and JPM are big trading banks. And again, the story is going to be a lot like it was in the first quarter. Very low volatility means that people are just not placing big bets. They're not expecting major movements in stock or bond or rates uh, in the near future. And so Wall Street, the Wall Street trading side will be will be grim. I want to get to you know the Fed and raising rates. And that was coming into the year. That was a big part of sort of the bullish case for banks. Um, that the, the Fed's raised rates, but that hasn't really lifted interest rates as much as people were expecting. Um, how much is that, has that impacted the bank's business? And do you think we're going to get any kind of commentary on their view of that going forward, especially the balance sheet issue? Well, I think that the the, the, the rate story is really playing out on that longer end of the curve, right? So we have seen short-term rates go up, right? I mean, that's just that that's a mechanical function of when the Fed goes up by 25 basis points, credit card rates go up by 25 basis points, right? Those are those short-term lending rates. What we haven't seen is an increase in those 10-year and 30-year lending rates. And that's where, again, those corporate loans, you know, re- really start to kick in and make money. And so when you see that, yeah, 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 yeah. So when you see that, 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 that squeeze, right? So, you know, you have 
the banks can't lend out money at the long, you know, it, they can't lend out long-term money at very high rates, and they they you know are feeling a little bit of pressure to you know pay out a little bit of interest on the short term, so the banks end up getting squeezed there. So it, it, that's that's called rate. You know, if, if you're if you're listening uh, and you want to know the lingo, that's called flattening. That is a flattening curve, and that is bad for the banks. Yeah. So with with deposits, for example, how much can the banks? You know, as rates go up, one of the way, one of the things they can do is raise deposits. How much? How quickly can, are they going to be able to do that as the Fed raises rates? Well, here's a nugget for you. Okay. Uh, if I asked you which bank between Bank of America, one of the biggest retail banks. In, in America and Goldman Sachs, which paid more in uh, depositors' interest in the first quarter? Am, am I, would I be cheating to say Goldman Sachs? <laughs> you would not. I, I would that, guess just by your asking that question, it's a trick question. Right. <laughs> I mean, think about this. Goldman Sachs, which has a, has a small and growing but very tiny consumer consumer bank, paid more in interest to its depositors, which are mostly <laughs> corporate clients and, and, and <laughs> excuse me, and asset managers, um, than B of A did, which has hundreds of billions of dollars. Of retail deposits. So the truth is that the big guys face very little pressure to raise rates. And some of that is, look, depositors are lazy for the most part. Their money is where it is, and they've got the debit and the checking. It's It's very sticky. Um, And the truth is that the big banks also, to their credit, have done a very good job investing in technology and apps and and branches, and this is all scalable. And so there's a a convenience cost uh, to, to moving your money. And the other piece actually is that Look, deposit rates have been really low for a long time, and that affects the way people, the psychology of saving. Mm -hmm. And most people, especially young people today, don't think of their savings account as an income generator. So they don't, whether it's five basis points or eight basis points or 10, they don't really care. And so there's not a lot of pressure on the big guys to raise raise rates in the near term. That's very different from my grandmother. She kept lots of money in her savings account. But I mean, <laughs> that that stat alone shows how like, you know, how little it makes sense yeah. to keep money in your right. savings account now. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not as old as your grandmother, but I mean, even when I was a kid, I but remember you act like, like her. When I was, like, I remember they taught you to save money. Like you know, you got the passbook, and they, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was important. It was actually one important. Of those, yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing: is that the banks, though. So, okay, so you're saying it doesn't make any sense to leave money in your savings account. But the truth is, well, I'm that's, not saying it doesn't make that's sense. That's still what people you're not do. Making any money. Yeah, right, you're not making it. any money, so you'd think people would be like yanking money right. out of savings right. accounts, but. And in some ways, it's never been easier to do that. The, the friction cost of transferring money is very easy. Yeah, with, with, the convenience with, costs are high. A lot of the technology now makes it pretty easy to do yeah. that, but. That same kind of mentality, right? And especially you're talking about people who still don't trust, right? I mean, we're still talking about how oh, – do we trust the equity market? Do we trust the equity mm-hmm. market? I mean, here we are after all this rallying and all these – it survives every every hiccup and everything is a buy-the-dip opportunity. There's still a lot of people who are you know, in some ways hesitant to pull money out of savings accounts and put them into investment accounts. And so the banks have really been getting kind of a free ride. I mean, it's kind of a neat trick where, like, you scare everybody away from investing because you blow up the economy 10 years ago. And then now they're kind of like, you know, well, where does everybody put their money to keep it safe? Well, in those same banks. And so that's that's actually been a pretty good deal for the banks going forward. Now, the the flip side is that they can't make as much money lending it out because those rates are low. So at the end of the day, the banks are not printing money uh, like they might have in past rate cycles. But, you know, they, they, they've got those big safe deposits to play with. And as you know, Liz has written a lot about, like, banks like Goldman Sachs are trying to find creative new ways to lend it out. And these guys, by the way, I mean, they're going to 
drag their feet as long as they can on raising rates. You are starting to see some harbingers of, of that's popping up, right? So Goldman has this this online savings account, which had already been paying quite a lot at 105 basis points. Um, they just upped it to, to 120. You're starting to see some uh, certificates of deposit pay a bit more. So there's 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 signs that, that probably the big banks are going to get dragged in that direction. Uh, it will be slow. We are talking about bank earnings, which start on Friday. You are listening to Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash W-S-J. Need to get your news fix? Look for W-S-J on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and the Amazon Echo, The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul and Steve here in the studio with Liz Hoffman and Telus Demos talking about bank earnings. And we spent a lot of time talking about deposit rates in that first segment, and I think that's important, but... Uh, I'm sure that's not the biggest driver of profits for the banks. Uh, and no, 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 it's no. not. It's <laughs> not at all. Uh, uh, you know, the big question I think for uh, aside from from loan growth, which, which Telus mentioned, uh, is going to be the the core trading businesses, um, which which had quite a good second quarter last year, which kind of started this this couple of consecutive quarters of oh, maybe the world is not ending on trading, uh, and all the signs this quarter have have been pretty grim, um, probably double grim. digit grim, wow, like the Reaper. Uh, probably double digits down over over last year, and um, you know as you can certainly hear the air coming out of of those tires, and uh, you know depends on which bank you're talking about, but but Goldman, Morgan Stanley, Citi, J.P. Morgan, I mean. They have other businesses, but but that's a big chunk of the revenue, and really tends to drive whether they're um, they're home run quarters or or just you know bloopers. I mean, the way to think about it is everything that you've been hearing about the shift to passive on the investment side, right? Everybody wants right. to put their money ETFs, in index funds, and index and ETFs, right, right, like. Right. You know the 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 service providers, right? Think think of it like you know the 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 people who help those fund managers do creative things, right? Are the banks, are the Wall Street trading desks, and so when they say when they come in and they say, yes, I'd like you know uh, I'd like a cheeseburger, you know, no pickles, no onions, you know that that is basically what the banks are getting every day. Is I want you to just do do me very basic. I want to buy, I want to sell, and that's it. You don't have to do it too fast. I don't really care. Just kind of keep me level, and th- the banks don't make any money when you do that. Uh, the, p- people aren't buying fancy derivatives and things like that anymore. They're just kind of sticking with vanilla instruments, and that's that flows through to Wall Street. And a lot of that has to do with with confidence, right? Which is that the imagine you're a you're like a, a credit macro fund, and you make bets on interest rates. Well, like all the interest rates are zero or headed there. Or God, if you're in Japan, they're negative. Like you could wake up tomorrow, and the central bank says this, and there's it's really hard to. To have like to have have a view on where things are going and say, all right, I'm going to go to Goldman Sachs and would like you to build me a very fancy widget to make a bet on 20 year Italian interest rates. It's very hard to do, and so really they just haven't done it. Uh, and that's where those sort of really exotic, complex instruments. That's where these guys make all their money. And so instead, it's become like Tell said, kind of a, a very boring volume game, which is that you make a tiny, tiny fraction of a cent selling uh, a very plain cheeseburger. Right? And, and and I mean the other thing too is volatility. I mean. The- the lack of volatility isn't always horrible for banks, but 
this type of volatility, I, I'm assuming, is not good for their trading business. Um, you know, we've had <laughs> the VIX has got into multi-decade lows, and people keep waiting for it to. You know, the world feels very crazy. Yeah. You know, all the people on the desk that we talk to say, "God, I wake up every day and I read the headlines, and each one's crazier than the last." But the market never budges, and and to tell us this point that that has a lot to do with the shift to passive. There's so much money sloshing around, and it's if if you're allocating it to index funds that just buy big large cap stocks, well, guess what? Like those stocks are going to get bigger. Right. And those stocks are going to turn higher, and it, it's very hard if if you think that they're valued wrong to make any money betting against them because it, it feels really unstoppable. Yeah, I, I feel like we're almost at the point where you could have a headline: "Sun explodes, humanity wiped out," and the the subhead would be Dow finishes up six points. <laughs> Tesla goes through the roof. Tesla right? goes through the roof. <laughs> right, right, right. Solar panels suffer. Tech stocks rise. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, you're right. It does kind of feel like that. And it's frustrating for um, certainly for asset managers on on the the investing side. But if you are a, a salesperson or a trader trying to come, your job every day is to wake up and come to clients with ideas and say, uh, you know, our house view on X Y Z is this, and, and we think we high conviction idea, right? That's that's the magic sauce when you make a phone call in the morning. Very hard to do that. It also like the same forces that you're seeing. Uh, change retail, right? So all the big stores are closing because nobody can compete with Amazon. I mean that 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 filters through to the banks as well, right? Because if there aren't as many people trying to compete with Amazon, right, you've got a lot of companies that don't need the financing to do so, right? You have a, you have fewer companies right. going public because nobody wants to bet on somebody who's going into the e-commerce business. So you've seen the tech IPOs just continue to trail off. And when there's no tech IPOs, Wall Street has no like no, you know, gimmies uh, for for their clients, right? Which has always been a huge part of their business, and you know, you see companies staying private longer because mm-hmm. they don't want to sort of test those those markets, and so all those things, same things, and and then you get a, a handful of like giant tech companies, you know, your Facebooks and your Amazons, who frankly, you know, don't consume a lot of banking services, right? Because they have tons of money. Or they might right. consume banking services, but they go to like one or two banks that they trust, which just sort of shrinks the fee pool. Um, and you know they they have an enormous leverage with the banks on pricing. So so on on that kind of trading and kind of corporate finance side, all those same kinds of things that are flowing through the real economy get get felt on Wall Street as well. Can we talk just about the the investment banking business? One of the interesting things is you guys, you know, you have five things that you guys are going to have come out or your group's going to come out. It talks about the fact that companies are cutting back on borrowing from the capital markets and the issue of investment-grade debt is down. Yeah, it's a bit of a head scratcher. <laughs> no one quite knows why. I mean, companies are borrowing less, uh, and that that includes both bank loans and and the bond market, which you know are sometimes interchangeable. You'll go shopping one place if you see you know you got a coupon or whatever. Um, it's a little bit of a puzzle. I mean, loan growth for for years following the crisis was just crazy off the charts, and it maybe this is just it's off the charts high. Off the charts high. Um, come, you know, for 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 a while, no one borrowed anything, and then when they realized the economy wasn't going to completely collapse. They realize, oh, we got to build factories and pay people, and so they borrowed again. That is that is slowing pretty dramatically. It's not in negative territory, but the year-over-year growth has come down uh, and is trailing what you would expect given job growth and 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 other sort of indicators. So that's a puzzle. And um, an investment-grade debt is one of those products. If you think about like stock trading, you know, the first one where commissions kind of fell off a cliff and it got really commoditized. It is coming to credit, and what it does, it's coming to the very plain vanilla. Uh, high grade uh, triple double A bonds that that are um, pretty commoditized at this point. What about their advisory businesses and M and A? Are they getting any boost from that? 
Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, the, the, the M&A uh, cycle is a cycle. Yeah. Um, this has been a, a long one. I mean, it really started to pick up late 2013. We've got really three and a half years of, of really above average M&A activity. You know, it will probably continue as long as organic growth and as long as sort of global growth feels hard to come by naturally. You have to go buy it. Um, but, but you know, I don't think 2016 was a, a record by, by pretty much any measure, and every all the comps on that look pretty bad. It's like the economy. It's been a long expansion, but not an especially big one. M&A's been through a similar cycle. One of the, and one by of the way, M&A, it captures a lot of headlines. At the end of the day, it is... Five percent of of a big bank's yeah, yeah, revenue, exactly. which isn't enough to really move the needle. No, and trading has so supplanted that. One of the one of the things that you, you know you always focus, especially on the first day when the three big banks are reporting, is what they're going to say, kind of a more macro level. What are they going to say about regulation? What are they going to say about the economy, the housing market? Any, do we have any hints on their views of that? Have they been talking sort of in the last couple of months about that at all? They've been signaling that they hear confidence noises from businesses. But the the big message, again, you know, in the first quarter was that people were, were waiting for tax relief and things like that. Right. And that that was people were still excited, but had been holding back. I wonder if in this cycle, people will say, OK, everyone's kind of given up on that idea. Um, or, or it's now in wait and see, and right. that could be that could be that could be a pretty bearish indicator for for the year forward. I mean, I know you know the head of you know Citi's M and A business was you know on TV the other day talking about how he sees you know kind of a big slowdown in in kind of corporate you know big corporate M and A activity and things like that. So I, I think you're going to hear bearish noises out of the banks. Well, all right, tell us, Liz. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it, everyone. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Follow the Wall Street Journal on your favorite podcast app. Search WSJ on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and any Amazon Alexa device. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously.